0: Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode 51. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com 51. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. I thought it'd be interesting to talk about a section in Chapter 7 of Misunderstood God by Darren Hufford. We touched on it somewhere in the past, and it was a total libel that went on for me, and something that I know Greg really resonated with. It's on page 72. So why did God create? Because love requires expression. I thought that was profound. So often, love is expressed and and set up as Christ coming to die for us, and and that being the demonstration of, the most fullest demonstration of his love. And yet, Hufford's assertion here is that God's expression of love began way before that. In fact, it began with the actual creation of us. So... I'm thinking you like that section. I'm also wondering or wondering or looking for more, like, is there more to back up this idea? It's a great idea and I'd love to embrace it. Am I being foolish though to just embrace it because it's in a book and it's uh, a couple sentences on one page? (laughs) (laughs) Am I leading the witness? (laughs) Well,
1: no. And you know what? I'm going to take your question totally seriously. Um, and i and i think that what we want to do you see uh, you're not leading the witness so much as 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 i think this is <sighs> the question itself is somewhat damning to put it in legal terms and what i'm what i mean by that is I don't think it would be possible for us to ask that questions as evangelicals and I'm assuming like you come from an evangelical perspective not that you're Yeah, I don't know what I would call myself now. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of coming I'm I'm kind of focusing on your background on the one hand and on my, you know, broadly speaking I'm evangelical. Right? Um even though some evangelicals might, you know, not not think am evangelical that. <laughs> enough. Yeah, 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 you know. But but I think the issue is that we can even ask the question because it, once again, for me, it's an indication that our experience of God is not informing our understandings of God, right? What it is, the, 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 the truth about God that we might get from the biblical text is not being informed by the truth through being in a relationship with God. Specifically being known and loved by God, being known and loved by God, right? So in other words, it's supposed to be a mutually informing thing. It's a, it's a reciprocal thing. It's my whole idea of love and truth, right? I have, I know some true things about God, about myself, about my world through the biblical text. Being engaged in a love relationship with God, I, I, I also know some true things about myself, the world, and specifically God. And there is a productive interaction, a dialogue between those two things. Sometimes the biblical text will correct my understandings. You know, Greg, you could have interpreted it three or four ways, but the biblical text is going to narrow that down. It's going to help you say, you know what, I have to rule some of those out on the basis of what the text by and large seems to be saying. That's the one direction. The other direction is that my experiences of God will enliven and illuminate that text. So I'm seeing and reading it more fully and better. Right? This is what it is to have an ongoing, robust love relationship with God. Um. So when you ask about you know, Darren's take on Genesis, let's say, right? And why we were created. Um, Is the Bible specifically telling us that? Not in so many words. You know, I don't think in so many words, it's either, it's also telling us creation ex nihilo. I think Darren, um, Darren's not really formulating it. Darren's sort of stating it, right? And I've tried to kind of formulate that more. I think I've done a little bit more formulating it and saying, you know, here's where it's coming from. But if we look at if we...
0: (laughs) Well, I think I'm I'm also potentially stating it out of context and I just realized I didn't intend to do that at all. Would it help to put a little more background behind this? Sure. Do you want to read through part of Darren or were you thinking... Well, well, I'm I'm just thinking, so chapter 7 is titled The Proud God and Darren's creating this or he's not creating he's laying out this contention that that some people have said that God created us just so that we could worship him so on page 71 the things we teach about worshiping God prove that we believe God is full of pride many people say that worship is the reason we were put here God created us so he could remind himself how great he is all the time in pride, we tell ourselves that we worship out of obedience because that is what God requires. We pat ourselves on the back because at the end of our prayers, we're careful to give Him and only him all the glory. We spur one another on to serve Him like mindless slaves, and we believe that unless we do this willingly, He'll bring us to a breaking point where he'll fully sub- He'll bring us to a breaking point where we'll fully submit to him and then the next page later. He's saying, no, God is not so proud. And then talking about why he believes, why God creates because love requires expression. So that's the backdrop to where I started us. Okay. And I would agree halfway, half uh, 60, 70% of what he says about his whole thing about worship. I don't, to say that God created, that, Well, I don't know. Maybe some people believe that. That just sounds bizarre if, yeah, God created all these little people to just sit around and worship him if we make our own decisions and have free will and all that other stuff. Um, But the whole thing about worshiping God out of an act of obedience, I've definitely heard that more times than I can count. Yeah. Now I'm taking this in about five different directions, trying to give as fair a presentation as I can of this chapter. Okay. Take it away.
1: All right. Let me, let me, seeing <laughs> as you, you brought us back a step or two, I want to bring us <laughs> one, two steps further back to page 69, which is where the chapter begins. I want to highlight a major issue, the major issue I have with the book in order that it can be on the table, understood, and we can kind of move it aside, right? And then focus on this great stuff. Uh And I think I just need to, to do that because, you know, some people listening to What you've said about worship may may already say, okay, well, I mean, no, this is, I don't agree with that. So when you say you're 60% or 70% on, what I'm saying is for people for whom that number is lower because of some of this content, I would say, hey, you know what? We can put that content aside and let me do that with you now so that we can focus on the good stuff and you can hear the good stuff. That's my goal here. So he begins and he's talking about watching a Charles Bronson movie. And then he writes on page 70, 69, perhaps as little Charles Bronson in every man, it's a mindset that says, <clears throat> I don't need to be touched in my heart. In fact, I won't allow anyone to have a glimpse of my heart. At the core of this mentality is pride. And he goes on to talk about it's it's pride and it's not like someone who shut down their heart because of pain or insecurity. Um, you know, first of all, in terms of people, actually, that's exactly what I find, that typically it's not about... Uh, pride so much or it's pride covering over pain and insecurity so part of what i'm looking at here is i think darren has not formulated these things as um he's not been as much as attentive to them as he should be and that's one issue and if you're having that issue as we're going through the book or if you're reading the book i would say i agree with you but i think we can get around that i think we can note it you know look at it note it and then move on, because I think there's a lot of good stuff aside from that. The other part that I want to mention is um, on page 70, th- this 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 kind of comes out. And there's this fact, I, th- I think it's a fact, <laughs> that Darren, instead of generalizing from his experiences, he globalizes them. So globalizing is saying- Yeah, what's the difference? Well, globalizing is saying, we've all had this experience. Generalizing, generalizing is saying, I've had this experience, and I wonder what things in this experience, wonder what components of this, because nobody can have had my experiences. That's me. You can't have had them. No, not even my brother would have had them, right? Living in the same family with me. He would have experienced the same thing in the same room from his particular perspective, not from mine. So generalizing is saying, what can be taken from this what aspects of this are general what can i sort of take out of this very specific situation and here's um <clears throat> here's i think where, where it becomes problematic for me i'll just i'll just read this this is the middle of page 70 so he's talked about charles bronson he's talked about a lot of men there's a you know uh perhaps there's a little charles bronson in every man and i i question that i don't i don't really think so um maybe in a lot of the men he knows but in a lot of guys i know no. And then he goes on in the middle of 70, the character, pardon me, the God I was raised to believe in was a lot like Charles Bronson's character. He wasn't quite as heartless, but he certainly didn't need anyone. He was an island unto himself. It was either God's way or the highway. And and I think that this is what I want to say. I want to just state it, put it down, explain it, and then leave it. And that is that I, I think that some of the teachings and some of the Christianity that uh, uh, Darren Hufford has been presented with through his lifetime and particularly when he was younger were awful. And I, I really, I, re- I regret that <clears throat> in some ways I, 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 so I can empathize in some ways um, they, re- they are very clear reflections of what I had. So I I'm right there with you. And in other ways, no, I've never heard any of that stuff. And so for me, what happens when he globalizes, and and uh, so you know you read that part out about the things we teach. This is on page seventy one yeah, that we, we teach about worshiping. We, we is the problematic word right there. I think. And I think I think if I could make two comments to Darren, one would be, step back, take more time, don't globalize but generalize, and out of that change your language use because yeah the things we teach about worshiping. You know, um, et cetera. And he's got you know in today's society, in this generation, and many. I, I began writing all down, writing down the references because I thought, you know, am I just, am I just making this up, or are these references and this kind of globalizing tendency is this really quite predominant? And I've got quite a few references. I've got quite a few page numbers here
0: where That's he's That's interesting. Doing, yeah, because if you changed it to the things I have seen taught about worshiping God. That some people believe God is full of pride. Yeah. That would be totally different. That's really interesting. I think what's interesting is I'm reading some of this, I'm f- kind of filtering that out almost subconsciously. Like, well, yeah. Except, except when he gets to the part where he's like, "Our God feels about this generation, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, well, <laughs> okay, yeah. now you've gone too far. But continue yeah. on.
1: Yeah. And, and I guess w- my goal here is to say that if and I do think Darren does go too far in certain places I, i'm i'm staunchly of that view, but I would say to anyone listening and particularly to anyone who's reading along or you know really kind of tracking really closely with some of the comments where uh, the quotes were raising from the book um, there's a lot of value here, and if we can get beyond this in other words, and I think getting beyond it means c- recognizing it calling it for what it is explaining where where it could be different and then kind of taking that where it could be different and and refocusing on the good parts through that lens that's what i want to do so you know when darren says the wheeze and kind of globalizes everything it's interesting just in a, a, a past podcast um we talked about page 63 and this idea of jesus dying on the cross and the the two comparisons here are just night and day um I'll read two sentences and just kind of leave it after that, um, just summarize those two sentences and leave it after that. One is, we have come to believe that it is in God's heart to hold this moment of Christ's death over the heads of his children in an effort to get them to obey the rules. Again, this we, this is the way we see it. And no, I I wasn't taught that. That's not how it works out for me. So you've kind of lost me there, right? But in the very next sentence, he gets it back. And the very next sentence is exactly the way I think he should go because he generalizes the sentence I just read. He globalized. Now he's down to generalize. If we are graphically reminded of the pain and suffering he went, he underwent on our behalf, on our behalf, perhaps we will do our best to repay him by living a right life. And I love that he's laying it out. And maybe this is, so he's suggesting something to us, perhaps. Yeah, you know what? That makes sense to me, Darren. I'm with you. Okay, now you've got me thinking. You've reengaged me, right? But I guess this is the contrast that for me is so difficult. Globalizing doesn't work. We need to be generalizing. We need to be taking what can be generalized, not applying everything and saying, this is everybody's experience. So I want to, that's all I want to say about that um and maybe you know if we if we come across it later on just might say hey that's another instance of that that sort of thing and that was page 63 where you can see that kind of one right after the other but when you spoke about this idea of you know how can we you don't want to just take darren at his word in in a sense um you know on the middle of page 72 maybe two-thirds down why did god create us because love requires expression I just thought that was, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And I guess I would have to say, and, and, you know, this is so indicative of the whole evangelical mindset that I'm arguing for this. I'm, 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 I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking in the back of my head, how can I make this sound more convincing? And you know what? I shouldn't have to think like that. But I'm, I'm deep within a mindset. I too am deep within a mindset where if the Bible spells it out in a sentence, it's true. But if I have to not only take the sense of the Bible, but my sense of my experience with God in order to come up with this, well, then it's sketchy. It's not sketchy. Why do I think what Darren's written here is wonderful? Because it it's a very poetically true statement of what I have come to experience through being in a love relationship with God. And, through being in that love relationship with God, the impact of that on me, as I go back to the biblical text and I read it, with the eyes of one who is feels deeply loved by God, and who loves God deeply, is that I am able to see love is all through this whole thing. It's from Genesis, To revelation. And I'm able to see, you know, I don't, that the, the stories and particularly the characterization of God, you know, God is love. Um, the outworking of that is that the why of creation, well, if the how is ex nihilo out of nothing, the why is ex amore out of love. And why I, you know, why does love create because love requires expression you know when you are deeply in love with somebody when something you know and and sometimes we have to be reminded of it you know we have something i don't know your spouse goes away and comes back and you've you've missed her or your child goes away for the first time to a camp and you've missed him you know And, and the first thing you want to do is throw your arms around that person You wanna, you wanna express, it's, it's, it's this, this desire that's kind of welling up, it's welling up out of you. And there's this, uh, there's this tremendous passage, I think it's in Jeremiah, where he's talking about, um, you know what, and I can, I can do this. Oh, yeah. Jeremiah 20 verse 9. You know, and I'm not big on proof texting, but I'm just, I'm actually getting this from my thesis. And Jeremiah writes, If I say, I will not mention him, God, in other words, I will not mention God, or speak any more of God's name, then within me there is something like a fire burning, shut in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot. That's not duty. Duty isn't like a fire. That's desire. That's love. And it's such a beautiful characterization. And that's my experience. You know, that's why I get, <clears throat> I get lit up when we do these podcasts. You know, I get lit up when we engage with, um, people who are, um, who engage with us, who email us, who write on the blog. And, um, I think if we're looking for it to be formulated in the Bible, what we're doing is we're confining everything to the Bible. We're kind of going back to the whole formulation that Wayne Jacobson brought out in his Jesus Lens seminar about, uh, you know, the Word of God versus Jesus as Logos. The Bible is incomplete. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's incomplete. And of course it's incomplete. It's incomplete. And it, and the, the problem That's scandalous. is.
0: Scandalous.
1: <clears throat> oh, oh, you know what's scandalous? Scandalous is people thinking that it shouldn't be incomplete because this is because the reality of that for me is well talk to me about your relationship with god if the Bible's complete what does your relationship with god look like i mean if that's not more than or in addition to right the bible is one thing your relationship with god is another thing it's like one plus one equals two if the bible's all you've got then what's over here on the other side What's over here on this side that's supposed to be your relationship with God? Is that a zero? Really? And if that's a zero, why on earth are you doing it? Is your relationship with your spouse a zero? Your kids? Your, f- your friends? Like, well, what is this? Are you just going through the steps? Are you an automaton? Those relationships matter to us. They're core to what we do, you know? It's not all about my relationships. I have to, you know, breathe and work and you know exercise and all that other stuff. But um relationships with other people are huge. And particularly in a in a the case of a a, a Christian, if your relationship with God is not um if it doesn't have the same substance to you, or at least as much, you know, I think I think the biblical text and the relationship with God, are always productively vying with each other for the four. And that's cool. In other words, there's a tension there. And it's a productive tension, right? I'm experiencing God through, through, you know, dialogue with God. I mean, even prayer, the whole idea of prayer. I mean, that's dialogue. It's discussion. You know, uh, it's going to sound weird. But, you know, I kind of backed off some of my I don't even know how to say it. I just would say that I just was on my own thinking, I'm not really sure what I want to do. I haven't spent enough time just taking it easy. And I began to just chat with God about things that are going on and to express some of my, my hesitations, my, my, you know, fears, my, um, curiosity but also my my gratitude, my thankfulness, and my just just feeling like, you know, I see so much in some of these things. I see so much potential. And it was just this sort of, I I don't know how else to describe it. It was just like this fantastic meeting. It was like this space just kind of, everything else got pushed to the side. And it was just like, I couldn't, have found a more perfect way to pass my evening, and I didn't expect that, and I didn't want to stop. And I think that's part of what that relationship is like. It will vie for prominence in terms of you know your experiences of God through prayer, through hearing things about other people, in other words, testimonies of other people. And on the other hand, there is not just an obligation, but an enrichment. There's an obligation to go back to the text, right? When I see God in a certain way, when I experience God in a certain way, I want to kind of, there has to be this interplay, this productive interplay between how I experience God
0: and what the text is telling me about God. So would you say, because what I've heard you say so far about this section in Misunderstood God is that you think that Darren's statement is true because of your experience, but I haven't had the same experiences that you have. Are you also saying experiences plus everything else you see in scripture in other places okay yeah yeah yeah. okay i was only hearing you say well no this is true because it's happened in my experience
1: well no i mean in other words in other words this the specifics of why did god create us because love requires expression um you know yeah i can work backwards from the fact that i i am i am in this this constantly lovely quandary why is god responding to me like this Why? Why has? Why have these things happened to me? And 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 you know the 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 quandary isn't uh, isn't so much a real quandary. Is 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 I'm in a place of having this sort of answer that's ongoingly insufficient because God loves me. It's not enough. It's not enough just to say that. I think it's true, but it's not true in the sort of you know. Like you make, um, the cashier makes a mistake when you're going through, uh, at the till and you, you figure it out. Well, you walk away and you're fine. You know, the money's even, you're even, even Steven with the cashier. And that's, that's fine. You go on to whatever else you're doing. It's this ongoing thing of being in a place of feeling gifted, of feeling fantastic, of feeling like this is so, like the possibilities are just huge, you know, and I'm in there working out those possibilities and working with those possibilities but i guess but the part i was emphasizing there if i was emphasizing my experience it was because typically the only way for us to answer questions as evangelicals is to go back to the bible and if we can't see it formulated or summarized in a very fairly terse way we question it i think that's a big problem
0: okay i'm following you now in
1: other words on a more canonical level when I think of the canon as a whole, absolutely. Is that there? Yes, it is. Are there other ways of seeing it? Yes, they are. How do I choose between those other ways and this way? Because my experience of God informs me. It almost makes certain ways of reading, and again, they're all possible intellectually, it almost highlights them. That's That, that would be how I would say it. It highlights them and says, you know what, this... This goes together. So the whole thing goes together. Not only different parts of the text go together, but the text and the experience go together. They kind of compound to form this really rich um, reality that is not, not without tension. There certainly is tension. There may be contradiction, right? And I, ongoingly, I'm going to be in a place where there's contradiction. But you know what? My, my findings again and again are that the tension is productive. The tension is always productive in A, moving me back to my relationship with God, B, keeping me focused on the text, C, allowing, allowing me to remember, to look back to the past and say, I have experienced God's goodness. Is that going to change? No. No, I don't think so. And allowing me then to go forward into the future, through my present, with hope, in the faith, that the God that I've experienced have understood, have read about, it's not changing, it's not suddenly going to do an about-face, and that the possibilities for goodness are not going to be foreclosed upon. I may not resolve the tensions, and often I don't resolve them as quickly as I want to. You know, rarely does that happen. But they're ultimately productive for reinvigorating the relationship, you know, and that's not always pleasant. Productive does not have to equal pleasant, but um, I don't know, does that, does
0: that help any? Yeah, no, It definitely it definitely clarifies what I heard you saying earlier. I mean, I, I, can I put a question to you? Sure, you always do. <laughs> well, I'm have I wondering... always said no? Have I ever said no?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> okay. Well, what did you think about his use of vulnerability in chapter seven? How did that strike you?
0: I have to confess, I don't remember seeing that.
1: Oh well, let, let me let me throw some stuff at you.
0: Okay. Okay. So,
1: bottom of page seventy-two. He, being God, put himself on the line and became vulnerable in order to have relationship with us. Page 74, he's talking about vulnerability with his wife when he's he's watching this tearjerker movie. And then he's talking about um, God literally, on page 75, He literally stripped himself of all glory to expose the most vulnerable parts of himself to humanity. And all because this was simply what was required to achieve an authentic relationship. And he's used vulnerability, I think, one, two, three. I've got... And, yeah, I missed that. Six times he's used vulnerability. And I guess I was thinking about Brene Brown,
0: vulnerability. Totally, no, I would totally agree that vulnerability is key to relationship and becoming more authentically ourselves. Hmm. I love that. And the idea, though, that God makes himself vulnerable to have relationship with us, my mind immediately discounts. Because I say, well, he's God, you know, how high are the stakes for him, really? I mean, (laughs) he's God, so he can take whatever pain is going to come his way from being vulnerable. So is that really being vulnerable? What do you mean by he can take it? Well, he's God. I mean, how bad could it really hurt? (laughs) <laughs> Do you see how I'm going there? Uh, In other words, this is the same problem I have with Christ dying on the cross and how painful it was and all that. Is is On the one hand, I say, yes, okay, he was human and it was painful, and then I flip to the other side and say, well, but he was God. I mean, somehow he was able to tolerate it a lot better than I would have been able to because he was God. Okay. So, yeah, I mean... God's being but, vulnerable, but I mean, when I am vulnerable, it hurts it hurts me a lot more and and exposes me a lot more than it would expose God. I mean, can God really be disappointed and sad and depressed because he made himself vulnerable before john and and John didn't accept it or know what to do with it? Ah, uh, well, I guess I would wonder about depressed <laughs> I don't know <laughs> maybe I'm being dramatic now, okay.
1: No, 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 I, th- I think it's good, but I think there are, in other words, I'm hearing you send, say that there are limits, that God is, is able to limit the impact because God is God, and
0: I guess on the I'm not f- saying, I'm not saying that, I think that's a logical conclusion, I, I'm saying that, that I'm, I'm watching myself automatically discount the significance of God being vulnerable, Sure. Or dying on the cross or these other things that, that for some reason I immediately discounted as, yeah, but he's God and somehow it's a little bit easier for him. So, cause, cause forever I was raised with the idea that, you know, God became fully human and became man and, and fully understands everything that we're going through. And isn't that wonderful that we can relate to Jesus in that way because he was a human just like us? And I've never, that's never done anything for me. It's never done a thing for me. Yeah. It's always been presented as this profound thing for other people that that really is meaningful to them. It is not meaningful to me at all because I always jump to this place of, yes, but hmm. he was God. Of that, that, it it's not. Yeah, for some reason that that parallel does not is not meaningful to me.
1: Okay, well,
0: let me paint you another picture. Okay, and, and let me see what you think about this.
1: And so, in, in super brief. If I was to say on the, on the what buddies God side of the argument, side of the perspective, um, I would say, yes, yeah, certain things don't happen. Like I, I don't, I don't know that God becomes depressed, for example. And I wasn't saying you were saying that. I was just saying that, that, that that's a possible response. And I think that, that certain responses like that or, or, or God becomes utterly dis, God becomes, uh, discouraged or God becomes, um, uh, confused. That's a really good one. <laughs> no, I, I don't think that happens. No. Yeah. I don't think that happens. That's that's that that you know uh, that that's a difference, right? That's God is distinct from us in that way. I, I that's my call. Mm, but I would also say that maybe instead of saying you know God is God and has all these resources, I would look at it this way: if we can think about our the center of our emotions, you know, in Western society we call that the heart. If we think about our hearts as um, like the resonance chamber on a stringed instrument like a guitar or a violin. And we know that there are great, you know, you know there are various grades of, 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 say, acoustic guitars and violins. And there are great, great, great makers of, of those instruments. And uh, what I would say is that my analogy is that God's, if you like, resonance chamber god who is love is so much richer and fuller than my own that god feels so enormously deeply um i think that the impact on me if i were to feel that that deeply would be to be enormously crushed or to be so helplessly bipolar you know because obviously if your resonance chamber is 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 so um so wonderful so almost orchestral it's not just one instrument it's the whole range of possible sounds and possibilities in the 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 true richness and diversity that 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 uh that can be expressed through the various you know situations that may prompt certain emotions if i was in that place i'd be hopelessly bipolar you know, like like hopelessly, like like perilously, you know, being both paralyzed by um the, the negative, painful, difficult things, and also by the you know, joyous, wonderful, rapturous things. And so I guess what I would say, the way I, I see it is, you know, God who has this just enormity of love feels things far more deeply than I do. Without, on the one hand, you know, uh, being unmoved by them and yet also without having some of the side effects of you know say confusion depression etc that 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 we have i mean i don't think that i think being in god's presence will ultimately in one way be having some insight into the the, the profound um i guess reality it, In some ways, I would go back to, you know, Tolkien at the beginning of, uh, the Silmarillion writes a a small section, the, I think it's called the Ayunandele, and it is about, uh, um, Iru, the one who asks all of the angelic and archangelic beings to participate in an orchestra, in a, in a, in an orchestral Series of orchestral movements, and through these beings, I guess, singing or creating this music, you know, putting forth this music that that Iru has created for them, and in some cases, distorting it. Right? There are there. Are, there's one in particular who who distorts the music. The the things are created. You know, there comes out of this movement a creativity. It births something. And it would be interesting to me. I don't know. I'm, this is purely speculative, obviously, but I wonder if part of the process of creating a new heaven and a new earth, which is both the existing, like what we have here. It's not like this is garbage and then we get a brand new one, but the renewing is the process of all of that being that, that coming out of God, all of that, that positive in the sense that I, I don't know. It's, it's like letting the power of God's love and all the positive things, I think, for that renewal, take physical form, become real. It's like singing trees and water. And, you know, it sounds a little bit like C.S. Lewis, I guess, too, singing that into being. And, um, so I guess for me, when I think about God and God can't experience these, like, God can't be hurt the way I can. I think God could be hurt far more than I can. And yet God doesn't, crumble God doesn't say I'm going to throw it all in and but of course we've got these examples in the old testament where god says you know um I will just you know I'm I'm going to wipe you guys out I I I can't tolerate this this is this is terrible and you know you've got that 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 part where Moses says you know surely the the creator of all the world will will not will will do right you know and he he sort of calls god and then the, 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 with Abraham and 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 uh the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and You know, and Abraham's doing this kind of bartering with God. How many righteous will you need? You know, and Abraham pushes God, you know, and I, I, I think these are kind of, on the one hand, accurate. And I'm sure that, you know, God is, has these moments and maybe has many of them. Maybe they're all the time when God is saying, you know, this is too much. This is ridiculous. And yet there's this, you know, not a fight within God, I don't think, but, there is a multiplicity of possibilities that are all both informed by truth and informed by love. And that, um, with, in those particular two incidents with Moses and Abraham, there's this collaboration. There's a collaboration for goodness and possibility. And I think that it's just like Darren, just like Darren on page, um, 76. And I love this too says, when I visit different places people compliment and we can we can finish after this maybe if, if that's if that's good for you when I f- visit different places people compliment me because they want to edify me and feed my spirit I appreciate it with all my heart but when I return home and my wife tells me the same things I'm penetrated clear to my soul it hits me harder and empowers me more because she knows me and this is the this is the the part then there's a huge difference between someone telling me Things out of distant respect and someone telling me they love what they know about me. And it's this sort of deep, deep relationship with God that I think we see in those cases with Moses and Abraham. Surely the Lord of all the universe will not, will, will do right, which is saying, I love this about you. I am, I am deeply indebted to this about you. I believe this about you. And I so believe that, that I'm going to push you on this. I'm going to. I'm going to risk, which, with what in those times, in the ancient Near East would have been just, I mean, those, that's, it's blasphemy. It's impossible. You know, and here are these two people pushing, theoretically pushing God. But really, I think, I think it's much closer to what Darren's saying here. They know God. God knows them. They've fallen in love with God. God loves them. And there's this, um, there's this tension that goes on. And God's still God. God doesn't cease to be God because God, you know, Abraham barters God down, right? He cuts down the number of people. He just keeps going, right? And um God isn't uh, a crappy barterer, a lousy negotiator. And God doesn't, you know, didn't kind of like step out of character, so to speak. God's still God. But it's through the, the explanation for that is it's through a love relationship where Abraham knows this about God deeply in his skin. And he loves this. And, and out of that, he is, um, he's moving with God towards a goal that God would ultimately have, you know, as well as, you know, God's, the reality and validity of God being utterly frustrated and utterly over the top with these people.
0: Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on the website at untanglingchristianity.com slash 51. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.